You're listening to Comedy Central. Does anyone, does anyone celebrate Elon Musk here? Anyone? Uh, I don't know if you saw this, it was like a really interesting moment of like just internet Twitter beef. Bernie Sanders put out a tweet and he basically was like, you know, the usual thing, billionaires need to pay their fair share of taxes, blah, 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 they're not paying enough, whatever. And then Elon Musk jumped on and he was like, oh, you, I, uh, I didn't know you were still alive. And people are like pissed off because now it's Bernie bros versus Elon bros. And like, that's, you know what I mean? That's the internet, essentially. It's like a Reddit Royal Rumble now. <laughs> Like, good luck posting your wedding pictures when this shit is happening. It's like gangs in the streets, but on the tweets. That's what's happening now. You're like, oh, I love you, my wife. They're like, shut up. Elon's right about this thing. And Bernie, you don't talk to Bernie like that. Everyone's mad, losing their shit. One thing I will say about Elon Musk is like, Elon Musk is everything I thought a billionaire was as a child. You know when I'd watch TVs, like TV shows as a kid, I always was like, why do you want to be a billionaire? I'll be like, yeah, so I can just tell everybody shit all the time. You want to be like Scrooge McDuck. And then you grow up and then billionaires are like, they're always talking about business and doing boring, like Jeff Bezos. The guy has all the money of the world. And then still he's like, you know, if you be like, hey, what's happening at your factory? He's like, ah, we're going to try to figure things out. And you're like, well, yeah, this is not like billionaire swag. You know, he works out. Why do you work out? Why do you, guys, you don't need muscles if you have billions of dollars. Muscles are for lifting things. If you have billion dollars, you do not lift anything. Do you know what I mean? I would pay somebody at the gym. Do, do another rep. Do, no, 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 I still feel, do another one. And then you'd be like, yeah, but Trevor, then you're gonna gain weight, you're gonna be unhealthy. I'll pay people to tell me that I'm healthy. I'll pay them. And then you'd be like, but you might die. Then I'll pay people to bring me back from the dead. I'm a billionaire. I'll buy your body, bitch. I'll just buy somebody else's body. Come back next week, be like, hey, you're like, who are you? I'm Trevor. Yeah, I bought your dad's body, what now? When I become a billionaire, Matt, oh man. First thing that's going out of my life, greetings and goodbyes. <laughs> Waste of my time as a human being. When I get a billion, you guys forget me saying hello or goodbye, wasting my time. You know I'm coming back. You know you see me for the first time. Hello. Why do I have to announce my arrival to you? Hello. What a useless thing. These are things for peasants. <laughs> when I get a billion, you guys don't even understand. No more hellos. It's over. I'm just gonna walk up to you. You're just gonna see me. You're just gonna have to be like, he's here now. And then when I leave, I'm just gonna go. We'll be talking. Yeah, the thing, you see the game? 27! Then I'm just gonna walk away. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, Ears Edition. Tonight, COVID is costing us. The best way to avoid the ICU. And Chris Christie. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Joining me for today's headlines is the one and only Roy Wood Jr. What's up, yeah, man? Yeah, Roy Wood. I'm we back, love, man. We love your comedy special and Comedy Central and Paramount Plus, Roy. We love you. What's going on, man? John, I'm good, man. Yo, I saw Questlove over the weekend at this thing. Uh-huh. And he's really inspired me to try and figure out this whole sidekick, the sidekick shit, man. I mean, I just let me play an instrument. No, no, but you're not like a sidekick. There's a difference. It's like, you're just keeping me company because we're here and we don't have an audience yet. You know Am I over there or am I on the side? Well, Where am I right now? Physically in relation to you? You're on the I'm side. I'm on the side? Yeah. And am I kicking it? You are indeed. Okay. So then that's what, that's what it is. It's just let me play an instrument or something. I, got, I played the flute for two weeks in the sixth grade. That won't work. I can't even audition? 
No, I think a to flute... To be in the band? A flute is the worst thing you can play when somebody tells a joke. Okay, tell a joke right now. You tell a joke. Uh, you... All right, I'll, 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 knock, knock. Who's there? Amos. Amos who? Amosquito. <laughs> All right, right, let's jump straight into right. today's headlines. We kick things off with the ongoing investigation into the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol building, also known as the most successful Facebook meetup of all time. Right now, a congressional committee is trying to determine if President Trump and his allies were involved in the violent attempt to overturn the election. And one of the people they most want to hear from is Steve Bannon, former Trump advisor and the only person who should maybe try horse dewormer. I mean, it couldn't hurt. But like any innocent person, Trump has told all of his people not to cooperate with law enforcement at all. So Bannon defied a congressional subpoena to testify. And this morning, he turned himself in, arriving at an FBI office, looking like he'd already served 10 years in prison. But if all of this uh, activity has Donald Trump worried, he's not showing it. In fact, when asked whether he had tried to pressure Mike Pence into overturning the election on January 6th, well, Trump basically admitted it in the most Trumpy way possible. It had been reported back in January by the New York Times that Trump even pressured Pence on the morning of January 6th with a crude phone call. When I interviewed Trump for betrayal, I asked him about that. There was a report, excuse my language, not, not mine, it was in the report, yeah. uh, that you talked to him uh, that morning and you said you could be a patriot or you could be a did you, did you really say that or is that, or is that a incorrect? Uh... Uh, I wouldn't dispute it. Really? I wouldn't dispute it. I wouldn't dispute it? Wow. Oh, Trump is gangster. Why would I dispute it? The guy's a total pussy. Why would I dispute it? You know what I love about Trump is that even if he didn't say that, he's the type of guy who would pretend he said it just because it sounded cool. Be like, yeah, that's a good line. I totally said it. I said it. Patriot or pussy, I love it. I also love how the reporter says, uh, excuse my language, uh, excuse my language, so, as if Donald Trump is gonna be offended. My man, it's Donald Trump. If anything, he'd be like, pussy, my favorite topic. Thank you for bringing this up. Let's talk about it. And by the way, can we, can we also acknowledge that don't be a pussy is the thing people only go to in life when they don't have any other arguments? You know, it's the last option when you have nothing real to convince someone with. And yeah, it usually works because no one wants to be a pussy. I mean, that's probably how cliff jumping started. I'm not a pussy! But sometimes it's good to be a pussy. Oftentimes, history's made by pussies. I mean, Gandhi, total pussy. Yeah. Britain was like, are you gonna fight us or are you a pussy? And Gandhi said, I am a pussy. You must be the pussy you wish to see in the world. That is what we need more of. <laughs> you know what's messed up, man? I kinda, in a way, I feel bad for Mike Pence, man. Cause he was like living that Christian life and being all righteous. He was. And then like the last four or five years, fumbled it, he going to hell. <laughs> like, you know how messed it is to just do everything perfect and then just in the ninth inning, oh, I'm going to hell. I don't then think... do nothing wrong. His whole life, he missed all his good jack-off years. <laughs> all the good jack-off years. Your, your jack-off years is from 14 to about 45, 46, and he didn't do nothing. Just a pure man. Then start hanging with Trump, now he... Go to hell and tell me you a patriot or a pussy. Which is messed up. I feel bad for Mike Pence, man. He gonna be all right. All right, let's move on to our top story. Right now, inflation is the one thing people hate even more than Jake Gyllenhaal. It seems like everything is more expensive these days. Groceries are more expensive. Cars are more expensive. Thai dollar sign is now Thai dollar 50. I can't afford that shit anymore. 
But there's one price that people notice more than anything, and that's the price of gas. More pain at the pump for drivers as we head into the busy holiday travel season. Gas prices keep going only one direction, up. Gas prices rising over 6% over the last month, up nearly 50% over the last year. Gas prices are at their highest levels in seven years. According to AAA, we're looking at 342 a gallon on average right now. Americans are spending $430 million more every day on gasoline than just one year ago today. Every time I fill up, it's close to like $89. It's like, uh, do you want to eat steak or you want to fill up your tank? Yeah, that's a tough choice. Do you want to eat steak or do you want to pour gas in your car? I mean, I, I do have to say, you don't have to choose. Yeah, you just fill up your car and then drive it into a cow. Boom! Then you get both. No, but for real though, th this is a big problem. High gas prices affect so many aspects of life, like from getting to work, to childcare, to you know, all your friends who bike becoming even more smug about it. But the question is, why are gas prices going up so much? Well, like everything in our life right now, it has a lot to do with the pandemic. So let's talk about why this is happening and what Joe Biden can do about it in another installment of Getting Back to Normalish. back for a moment to spring of 2020. Much of the world had ground to a halt, which meant that people weren't driving. They weren't visiting friends or going into the office or hanging out of the passenger side of their best friend's ride, trying to holler at me. If you left your home at all, it was probably to take a sad walk around the block. I mean, at least until you heard someone cough down the street and then you ran your ass back inside. Now, because of all of that, that meant that America's oil industry, which had been producing more than any country in the world, basically shut down. And even though society has ramped back up again, the oil industry hasn't. Early in the pandemic, demand for gasoline dropped dramatically as workers were told to stay home. That immediately walloped the oil and gas industry like nothing ever in its history has ever hit them before. At one point early on in the coronavirus crisis, the price of a barrel of oil, it cost less than zero dollars. When prices dropped abruptly with the pandemic shutdown, U.S. shale producers dramatically slowed the drilling of new wells. Rigs were taken out of service and oil production in the U.S. dropped off significantly. They shut down production. They laid off tens of thousands of workers to try and stay alive during the pandemic. Just like everything else in our lives, uh, the oil production has been impacted by COVID. It can't just flick a switch at a refinery and operations and have everything back to normal. Yeah, one of the reasons gas prices are so high is because America is making less gas than it did before the pandemic. Because people may be driving again, but that doesn't mean that it's easy for gas producers to just instantly produce as much as they were before. You gotta grow a whole new dinosaur and then smush it until the oil comes out. That takes time. And it makes sense that it's gonna take them time to adjust. I mean, it's been hard for all of us, right? Every single one of us, it's been hard for us to get back to normal life after the pandemic. Do you remember the first time you had to make small talk at the office? Nobody knew what we were doing. Welcome to the elevator. Do you remember weather? Yeah? I do not. My wife is leaving me. This is not my floor, but I'm getting out. Now, if America isn't making enough oil to keep up with demand, then why doesn't it just buy more from the rest of the world? Well, it could, but it turns out the people who control the oil in the rest of the world 
well, they just don't feel like sharing. Gas price is really not being driven up by the demand on the horizon. It's really more about the supply. Oil producing nations are actually constricting the supply a little bit because they're trying to recoup their pandemic losses. There's a cartel that controls the price of oil internationally, and that cartel is called OPEC. OPEC, the biggest oil producing nations, aren't increasing the amount of oil they release into the global economy. So as demand rebounds in the U.S., Americans are paying about $16 more to fill up their tanks than a year ago. President Biden recently appealed to OPEC and Russia to boost production, but received a flat no. Wow, they received a flat no. I mean, to be fair, every no coming out of a Russian is a flat no. Have you ever talked to a Russian person? They're never afraid of a flat no. Hey, are you having a good day? No. <laughs> well, there's, there's always tomorrow, right? No. And look, you can understand OPEC's position. I mean, how much longer is oil gonna be around, right? They need to make money on this shit now before we're all driving Elon Musk's cars that curse out Bernie Sanders when you honk the horn. And by the way, you also know what this means, right? You realize that this is the first time America could openly go to war for oil. Because usually when America goes into the Middle East, it's always like, this isn't about oil. My son is going over there to fight for freedom. But if prices go any higher, now Americans can just be like, Kevin, you get your butt in that fighter jet because your dad is not paying $6 a gallon. That's my steak money. Now, the good news is America is not going to war yet. But asking OPEC nicely also didn't work. So the big question is, what can be done to lower gas prices? Well, the bad news for President Biden is not much. The Biden administration is scrambling for solutions to one of his biggest, biggest political liabilities, soaring gas prices. Like presidents who came before him, Joe Biden has few options when it comes to combating high fuel prices. Nearly a dozen Senate Democrats are calling on Biden to consider all the tools available at your disposal, even the extreme step of banning American oil exports, which Goldman Sachs warned would be counterproductive and could actually raise prices. The president also considering tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, though industry experts have warned that would do little to alleviate the problem. If you ask the energy industry, they would say, well, the White House could cut environmental regulation and maybe that would help. And it could maybe for next winter, but that would take some time. President Biden does not have a magic wand to dramatically lower gas prices. And if he did, judging upon his sinking poll numbers, he would use that magic mm -hmm. wand. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I feel like even if Joe Biden did have a magic wand, he'd still need to recite a spell. And based on what we've all seen, I do not have confidence that he'd be able to get it right. Uh, Alakazam, Abraka, Abdul-Jabbar, uh, one, one of the great Negro, you, you know the thing, you know the thing. Did it work? What's tough for Biden is that it doesn't matter what else he does. If the price of gas stays high, that's that. He could sign all the infrastructure bills he wants. He could get everyone to agree on abortion. But all people care about is how much is the black goo from the ground? Higher than before? Then get the f out of here. So it's not exaggerating to say that his whole presidency, his entire presidency could depend on whether gas prices stay up or go down. And based on this new PSA the Biden administration just put out, they're willing to try anything. All across this great nation, Americans are feeling pain at the pump. 
but help is on the way. We at the Biden administration know you want nothing more than for gas prices to go back to where they were last year, which is why we're laser focused on the one method guaranteed to make that happen, creating a new pandemic. As we speak, our world-class scientists are working hard to develop the next big viral strain. They're experimenting with expired wombat meat, iguana sneeze droplets, and whatever they can scrape off the New York City subway. We're throwing all of it into a big old blender and feeding it to a sick hippo. Trust me, if COVID-22 is out there somewhere, we're gonna find it. We're not stopping until gas prices are the least of your problems once again. That's the Biden promise. <laughs> Guys, is this something? All right, when we come back, COVID is still filling up the ICUs, but don't worry, we've got a solution. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. The holidays are coming here in America, which means two things. Turkeys are saying goodbye to their loved ones and COVID cases might shoot up again, which would be bad news because some parts of America are struggling to keep up with the Rona right now. This morning, nearly half the country seeing new COVID cases soaring. 21 states reporting a surge in infections and rising hospitalizations in 17 states and territories. Some rural communities with low vaccination rates and limited resources, like Canyon City, Colorado, being hit especially hard. 93% of the state's ICU beds are currently full, the most they've seen in nearly a year. Yeah, Colorado's ICU beds are packed. And I mean... Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory packed. Which, by the way, what was happening in that movie? Like, I remember watching that as a kid and I was, I was thinking like, why are all those old people in the same bed together all day? Like I get at night if you poor, but then like the whole day? I was like, are they banging each other? Is this, is this what this movie's about? But anyway, the big worry is, what if your hospital has no ICU beds available and you suddenly need emergency care? Your life could be in danger because too many people didn't want to get the vaccine. Luckily, Leo Deblin has a solution for you. Do you need an ICU bed? But they're all filled up because nobody in your state got the vax and you need surgery. But the doctors say your appendix can't burst until the year 2023. Mm, mm, mm. Well, have no fear because old Leo's bringing the ICU to you. Introducing Leo Deblin's Home ICU to You, where I bring the hospital experience right into your house. We got everything you'd expect from a normal ICU, like a mattress that you can shape into a W, L, or triangle. He's gonna be fine. Recuperate with one of these 20-inch TVs from 2004, and we've got all the shows. Judge Judy, Maury, all them white dudes, and a Korean soap opera with no subtitles. And I'm not a doctor, but I will come in your house every 15 minutes to check your chart and just say something. Looking good. Hmm, that's weird. Damn, how you still alive? We've got all types of IV bags. Glucose, cold brew, and chicken noodles. And if you get our deluxe package, we'll partner you with another ICU patient who's going through something far worse than you. And in your darkest hour, as you sit there in unimaginable pain, 
Wishing that you'd had one more day to tell Lisa that you love her? We'll send in an ice cold insurance representative to make sure you fill out hundreds of forms. Wake your ass up, you ain't in no coma. Come on, now we got paperwork to do. So avoid the COVID and let Leo Devlin bring the ICU to you. It ain't been $85. You didn't get that from your mama. <coughs> Leo Devlin's ICU to you, an institute of Bollocklin. Leo Devlin's ICU to you, an institute of Bollocklin. Exit 120 by the fairgrounds, next to Foot Locker. Now that's a deal. All right, when we come back, former Governor Chris Christie will be joining me right here in the studio. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. He's here to discuss his new book and why he thinks the Republican Party needs to be rescued. Chris Christie, welcome to The Daily Show. Trevor, happy to be back. Um, before we start the interview, I wanna know what type of interview are we having? Are we having like a legit conversation or are you gonna politician me? I only oh. ask you this because you're the one person who will tell me the truth about whether you will or won't. We'll go totally legit. Okay, like we'll we go did legit. the last time, we'll go we'll, legit. Let's, let's do it, let's do yeah. it. Um, I love the, the title of your book, Chris Christie, Republican Rescue, Saving the Party from Truth Deniers, Conspiracy Theorists, and the Dangerous Policies of Joe Biden. It seems like the Republicans need to be rescued from a lot of things. Yeah, they do. And, and look, the biggest thing we need to be rescued from, or two, is the truth. You know, if we don't become the party of telling the truth again, we got no hope for anybody to trust us to do anything. And when we get all these conspiracy theories and truth deniers, it's just not going to work. And so what I try to do on the book yeah. is to go through like QAnon mm -hmm. and Pizzagate mm -hmm. and birtherism and the election stuff and say, here are the real facts. And I hope after you read them, you'll come to the conclusion there's no truth to any of this stuff. And we need to focus on the important things that are going on in the country right now. But surely you realize you are up against a monumental like issue here because a lot of the Republican Party believes many of these things. Yeah, well, that's what leadership's all about, right? I mean, in the end, if you want to try to lead, which is what I'm trying to do, is to help lead the party in another direction, uh -huh. then it's, it involves some risk. Like, if it were easy, you wouldn't be at the front of the parade. You'd be in the middle of the parade, right? So I'm taking a chance here, I guess. But to mm -hmm. me, it's a chance on the best thing to take a chance on, which is the truth. And you are not afraid of... The, the Donald Trump element? I mean, because I, cause you're, not just, you're not just talking to Republican people here. You're talking to Republicans, but you know one of your audience members is Donald J. Trump. Sure. Who believes some of the things that are in this book. Sure. And look, I've known him for 20 years. Yeah. So unlike most people who know him of recent vintage, I've known him personally for 20 years. And no, like, I'm not afraid of telling him the truth. I've never been afraid of telling him the truth. Um, all the time that I did things with him, uh, ran against him, mm -hmm. and then helped to advise him, prepare him for debates. I was the guy he always brought in to give him a hard time. Uh -huh. And so the book follows in that pattern. So let's talk about the relationship you have with Trump and then the relationship that the Republican Party has with Donald Trump. For many years, it was the party, right? Which is what many would argue good politics is. It's about the party and it's about the people who vote for the party. Now it has become about Trump. People say, I'm a Trumper. I vote for Donald Trump. The Republican Party comes second to that. That means one man can determine the vision and the mission that doesn't necessarily coincide with conservatism, whatever that may be in this day and age. So when, when you, you, you have a relationship with Donald Trump, right? You guys talk, you haven't talked in a while now mm -hmm. from what I understand, but, but, you sure. guys, but you guys talk. Do you see a world where A, he doesn't 
doesn't run for president, and then B, a world where you can convince him to not make the next election about this? Because you know he's going to do that. Well, look, I think a few things. First off, there's a really interesting new poll today out of Iowa. Uh, Iowa Republicans being polled by the mm -hmm. Des Moines Register. And they're, they're amongst the most conservative Republicans in America. Um, they asked, where's your loyalty the most, to the Republican Party or to Donald Trump? Yeah. 62% said the Republican Party. Wow. 26% said Donald Trump in Iowa. So I think things are changing, Trevor. I think as he's no longer on Twitter, he's only been out of office for less than 10 months. Uh -huh. And he dominated all the political oxygen in this country for five years. Right. Right. So we are in an instant gratification society. People expect things you know, to happen like that. They don't sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so as the emotion drains out of this and you leave the facts, I think people are going to say a Republican Party that's built on many foundations mm -hmm. is much more valuable than one that's built on one. And by the way, the president, the former president can be part of that if he wants to start talking about tomorrow and stop talking about yesterday. So that's what we should be thinking about is how do we get to the next step? And I think that that Iowa poll starts to tell us it's not there yet, but starts to tell us that people are starting to let the emotion drain out and say, all right, so what are our options? Is this book your way of putting yourself forward as an option? Is this, is this you planting the seeds for you running in the next election? No, this is me planting the seeds for wanting somebody, because lots of people whisper this stuff to me. Uh -huh. Someone has to say it out loud. Someone's gotta be willing to come forward and say, Here are the, here's the truth, uh -huh. and here's the path forward. It doesn't mean I won't run in 24. Okay, okay. But you know, I certainly will think about it. Would you, would you run if Trump runs? Sure. Oh, so you'll run against Donald Trump? Sure. Where's the camera? Put this camera on Chris Christie's face. You'll run against Donald Trump? Yes. Okay. Well, we're going to keep that tape. Keep that, baby. <laughs> and, and let me tell you why. You it's don't feel pressure to not run against him? Because, I mean, we, no. we've, we've heard many Republicans say, I would run if Donald Trump doesn't run. I would run. The only one I, who I know openly hasn't said this is Ron DeSantis. And it seems interesting there where he's going like, I'm not saying anything. And people believe that he could be a major contender. So you're not, you would run against Donald Trump. I would if I decide I want to run for president. And listen, I think anybody, Trevor, if you believe that you're the best person to be president of the United States, mm -hmm. why does it matter who else runs? Okay. Right? It's, to me, it's almost disqualifying to say, I'll defer to somebody else. Let's say Trump runs again. And let's say he wins the nomination. Are you going to support him when he goes to be president? Look, if he doesn't stop talking about this election is being stolen, uh -huh. then I can't support anybody who winds up saying that our democracy didn't work. So apart from that, you would support him then? I, no, I'm not gonna get into every issue. There's some things that okay. I would agree on, some things I wouldn't, but to me, this continued obsession, wrongly, in an untrue way, yeah. that the election was stolen, is just, is just something that Well, it's I fundamentally be, eroding the country. Right? I can't be supportive. Unless there's something you can prove in court that went wrong and he mm -hmm. tried and he couldn't 60 plus times, Right, right? then you've gotta be a, a, a grown up about it and say, the other guy won. Like, look, Al Gore in 2000 yes. fought it hard right. all the way to the United States Supreme Court, but when he lost, he looked in the camera and he said, George W. Bush is the president and I'm conceding. It's the peaceful transition of power and that has defined America's democracy for that long. And that's what he didn't do, what Donald Trump didn't do, yeah. and that's why I got so angry about it. The last part of this book uh, is what I find interesting. Saving the Republican Party, also from the dangerous policies of Joe Biden. Now, yeah. you argue in the book that the, the, the problem with Joe Biden is that he ran as a unifier, and you say that he hasn't done that. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is that he ran not only as a unifier, but as a moderate, right? Remember, he was the guy in the primaries that 
Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were all saying, wasn't liberal enough. Right. He was too moderate. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, his policies are way left. Well, but is it all of a sudden, though? If you remember, yeah. he did say at some point, if I win, we are going to put forward some of the most progressive policies this country's ever seen. He did say that. It, it, but, but he didn't campaign. The theme of his campaign was not that. He was going to bring the country back together. You can't unify the country by going way left or way right, because most of the country is not way left or way right. But what we can't deny is that a guy who was elected president with over 300 electoral votes yeah. just you know, a year ago, is now in a situation where his approval ratings are in the low 40s, mm -hmm. upside down 12 or 15 points, depending mm -hmm. on the polls, and it doesn't seem to be getting better anytime soon. And the real question is, Joe Biden, that's 78 years old, does he have the political skills any longer to dig out of that hole? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're gonna have to wait and see. I don't know, I'm skeptical about it, and I think he'd have been much better off if he'd have been the Joe Biden that he'd been all the years he was in the Senate and tried to bring the country together that way rather than try to be FDR. Do you think there was a Senate to bring together, though? Because this is the thing. This is the issue I have, just as, a, as an observer of this yep. thing. Mitch McConnell, for instance, will always say, like, well, we've got to do this thing together. We've got to do it together. <laughs> and then what happens when the time comes? He, he blocks people. He, like, Mitch is, is a genius when it comes to knowing how to, you know, figure things out. So was there a Senate to bring together? Here's why I think... Like, no. And I'll tell you why. I'll yeah. add on to this. Okay. Look at the Republicans now who voted for the infrastructure bill. For those 13 Republicans who stepped in and said, this is a bipartisan thing we agreed upon, and now Trump has come out against them, multiple Republicans have come, they said they betrayed the party, but they're going, no, it was bipartisan, and that's how it got here. Well, and let me tell you the opposite side of that, why I think there is bipartisanship available in the Senate available. Because in the Senate, you didn't see that happen. 19 Republicans voted for that bill in the Senate, including right. Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell voted for that bill. And so I think there is a center that's available to be brought together. Um, and, and look, not on everything, but on this, there was. Right. And okay. what's going on in the House, I think, is much more a, a, a symptom of the gerrymandering that we have. Right. In the mm. Senate, there's two for everybody. In the House, you've got these gerrymandered districts where some of these people are in far right districts or far left districts. All they're ever worried about is a primary, Trevor. They're never worried about the general election. And so they go running in the other direction, both, both parties. We need to stop this gerrymandering in the country so that there's more competitive districts, so that people care more about getting things done mm -hmm. than they care about just pleasing you know, any one particular constituency. I definitely agree with you on that. Um, thank you for the time. Thank you for joining me again. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on the book. I'm excited. I hope you run for two reasons. One, because uh, you make things interesting. And two, because you're one of the few people who on that stage is probably going to say something real to Donald Trump. So I really hope you do run. Uh, well, thank you. And listen, and you know I'll provide plenty of fodder for you. Oh, my friend. On your program. My so man, you'll be on a beach. You'll be on a beach one day, and I'll be there to see it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Trevor. Appreciate Great to you. see you. Governor Chris Christie's book, Republican Rescue, is available right now. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go... Native American families suffer from food insecurity and hunger daily. But the Native American Heritage Association, with the help of generous donors, is committed to fighting hunger with emergency food supplies and basic life necessities. So if you can, please donate at the link below to help Native American families stay warm, safe, healthy, and fed this Thanksgiving. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, don't just be one of those people complaining about the oil supply. Grab a shovel and be part of the solution. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. 
This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 